The views on this podcast belong uniquely and solely to the mouths from which they emanate. Absolutely, in real-world language contact, it's an issue. I won't say a problem because it's just—it's just for me. It's fun. It's like putting a puzzle together. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Linguist Podcast. I'm Jarrett, and I am your host this week. We also are joined uh, this week by my colleague Nathan Went, who studies Louisiana Creole in Louisiana. So if you hear questions coming from a voice that's not mine, it is the voice of Nathan Went. Very short intro uh, this week because uh, we're just continuing our conversation from last week in which we talked about the creation and the development of the Louisiana Dictionary. Uh, This week we get into some words and phrases of Louisiana French and Louisiana Creole that I think are interesting and and fun, and we have a a very interesting discussion. There is a small challenge in the episode. If any of you are from Louisiana and can figure out the mystery words that Amanda LaFleur mentions, let us know. Uh, You can contact us by Instagram or Twitter. Both of those handles are Weekly Linguist. We also have an email, podcast at weeklylinguist.com. And finally, remember that you, you can go all, you can always go to the web, uh, excuse me, you can always go to the show notes at, at weeklylinguist.com. And on the show notes for this particular episode, you will see all of the French words and expressions that we use in the episode. Well, without further ado, the second part of our conversation with Amanda LaFleur. Well, I want to, let's see, I, I've got a small list here, and I'm sure, you, by the way, you actually taught Cajun French which at LSU, which served as the language requirement for the 100 and 200 levels. Correct. Right. So, y- y'all had a curriculum and everything. Yes. Yeah. So, I, 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 never, I never got a chance to take that one, but I do remember that y'all had done, y'all weren't doing it when I was there. A long time ago. The first time. Yeah, the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back there with, um, uh, do you remember Dr. Zabuni? Absolutely. She taught she me. Was an ama- she, yeah, because she was from Lebanon, right? She was Lebanese. She was. What an amazing, ama- she was, she accused me of plagiarism one time. Oh my. And she said, Jet, this French is too good. You didn't write it. I was like, actually I did. I, I even wrote the bad paragraph above it and the bad paragraph <laughs> below it. But <laughs> yeah, she was pretty special. Okay. I'm just going to throw out a couple of things and we can talk about them. Okay. Um, these are some of the things that I've noticed in reading some of some different things, listening to songs, re- reading some of Dr. Ancelet's stuff. Um, and then anything else that comes up, we're just going to talk about the, the French and the Louisiana French. We talked about the va. Right. You also have je suis. So uh-huh. sui becomes su. Right, or shoo, it, it, shoo. it's actually shu, yeah, is, is, more, is more like how it's pronounced. So, I would je say. shu? No, shu. Je shu. It's like um, you know, instead of I am, um. <laughs> so it, that's a contraction then. Right. Okay. Um, I didn't realize until recently. You say tifi, tifi, or ti garçon, mm-hmm. but when it's a predicate adjective, elle est petite. Right. So you have two forms of this word petite. Did you know this? I did. Gosh, man. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even realize it. Uh, this, this guy's, yeah. He's, oh, uh, he's done his he's homework. Good, he's good. He's, he's good. done his okay. homework. I'm working in the Philippines, and he's working in French, so I, I can forgive myself. He, he came home and took a close look. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but this is there was that one there was another there was another adjective that I noticed that does this um but I think that's fascinating it's like two different forms of the verb Petite. Well, it's 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 of the adjective. Of the adjective yeah. petite. Excuse well, there's yeah, t yeah. yeah. You you will see you you will hear when it's when the accent right when it precedes when it precedes a noun you typically say t or tit, okay. And uh, it, when it's when it follows, then you say petit. But I will also at, at least in my area, there's also the noun form which is not petit but piti, me piti, which means my children, mes enfants. So, uh, and that's kind of interesting too, how, um, if you look at words that exist in France and, um, but in France, of course, they've got a, they've got a whole infrastructure of written French that, that scaffolds these words. So they, you're, they're able to use them in their, sort of in their, all the with all the possibilities, whereas we have because we don't really base our language on written words, um, we have we have made certain rules that are actually sometimes stricter than mm-hmm. than France. I will I'll give you the example of B R U N, okay, which in some places in France is pronounced bra, and others it's pronounced brun. Okay, let me say real quick when you say that. Mm-hmm. When I was in Lille in the north of France, I was exp- there was a street right. It was La Rue du Bras Pain. And I swear to you, I, I, I had to ask the question, are they saying this? They were saying La Rue du Bras Pain. Mm-hmm. And they were doing exactly what you just said. Right, because the U, the uh, it, 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 I mean, it's, it's not it's not just Cajun. In, the, in France, lundi is as, is as, har, as heard probably. I think there's even sort of a, I'm not, I don't know enough of the history of it, but it seems to me I've read something about it, a certain, a certain shift in which the uh has become much more, Eh. Um, <laughs> over the over the years, but in any case, in in South Louisiana, of course, we have we have the word brin, un petit brin de quelque chose, okay, b r i n, which means a little bit of something, right? Um, and and we know that u n is pronounced un, like un garçon. We say lundi, we don't say lundi. However. If someone was to ask about your complexion, and you said no, il est brun, they would say no, il est brun. Hmm. They make the distinction because it, it, it's it's a what do they call minimal pair here? We, we, here right, right, it's right. it's necessary to make a, a fundamental distinction in meaning, and so the rule the rule holds. You know, it's a um, so. You know, when people sort of say, oh, it, I can remember years ago, uh, oh, I got I had a guy from the Atlantic Monthly, I guess. I don't remember who it was, some big magazine who had come in. I was teaching a Cajun French leisure learning class. And he walked in and he was very interested and he found the class very interesting, blah, 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 wrote, you know, told me all kinds of nice things and then went back and opened up the article with, Lafleur teaches a brand of patently ungrammatical French that blah, 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 blah. And I thought, oh man, he just missed, he, he just missed the whole point. It's not that there are not rules. It's just that we have different rules and we have a lot more exceptions to our rules. You know, the, the variation is probably the, you know, the characteristic. If we, if you want to describe Louisiana French, it's got a lot of variation. If I can broach the 
very, very thorny issue here. I know that, so to do this kind of work in Louisiana, you don't only have to contend with the variation that exists in Louisiana French, but you also have this other language variety, Louisiana Creole, that in many cases is actually spoken in the same communities. So was it ever necessary, or, or rather, did you ever run into um, kind of ambiguous situations where you didn't fully, you couldn't fully say whether what you were getting in terms of the production of a speaker, checking for attestations, whether you were where you were in terms of that linguistic divide or whether that linguistic divide was um, relevant in a given interview situation. Oh, yes. I, you know, I, I wish I could think of a specific example. If I had known about this question earlier, I, I probably could come up with one. But yes, that happened quite a bit. Um, I And I experienced it firsthand sort of in the, in the opposite mode because I, the, the very first kind of linguistic work or lexicographic work that I did was uh, for Albert Waldman when he was creating the Dictionary of Louisiana Creole. And I had to learn Creole on the fly. And of course, it's not a problem because I'm white. And if I go into a community of Creoles of color and they see, they know that I'm not from the community and I go in and I sort of, I'm speaking my Frenchy French or my Cajuny French, they are almost invariably bilingual. They, they, you know, they can run on the continuum up and down. So they would, they, they understood everything I was saying. And my guess, now that I look back on it with a little bit of uh, perspective, is that they modified their Creole so that I could under, understand it. They didn't use as many Creole words. And that I think is true because I can remember at some point having a conversation with a lady and and I understood her completely. And at some point, her brother walked in, and they started having a conversation. And then I really had to, like, perk up. There were there were more things that were difficult for me. But um, back to your question, yeah, it it also uh, I saw it quite a bit because I had students who who did fieldwork projects and came back, and we would have to make a decision about how to transcribe, and. Uh, especially when you talk about uh, white Creole speakers in uh, like Cecilia and Bro and the Brobridge area, where their French is is not so, it's not that sort of more uh, basalectal or, or, or you know pure, if you will, Creole that you can just sort of use a. Um, it, it almost seems it, it it doesn't make it doesn't make sense to use um, the phonetic spelling because there are then these whole pieces of structure that are patently French and that can be transcribed using uh, French orthography. And so, so we had to make some, some compromise decisions there. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it happens, it happens quite a bit. And, and we just kind of, um, we played it by ear and those students very often in their projects, what I would ask them to do is when the, before the interview starts or the little story or whatever it is, that is the, the actual narrative. That's the, that's the noyau of the interview. Um, they would have to pick out 10 words, vocabulary words from the story that they were introducing to, say, someone who would be one of their peers who maybe didn't know all those words. And if it, if it was the question, if it happened to be a Creole speaker, well, that was the moment to, for them to say, you know, to teach, oh, well, te was a marker for the past or, or you know, gain or gampu, whatever, whatever it happened to be. So, but it, it absolutely in real world language contact, that's a, um, 
it's an issue. I won't say a problem because it's just, it's just for me, it's fun. It's like putting a puzzle together. So yeah, for me, because uh, because I work as as Jared said in in Louisiana and in sort of other areas of the Gulf South where Creole and French were both historically spoken side by side, um, uh, it, it I find it to be one of the most fascinating things about this area is the the immenseness of this linguistic repertoire that exists with a lot of people. And um, I was just wondering if you could sort of offer your thoughts on so as as sort of activism is uh, going on to keep vibrant or revitalize in some cases Louisiana French and Louisiana Creole, to what extent do you think we might be at risk of losing that sort of, that that depth of linguistic repertoire that formerly native speakers had, where they had this ability to, like you said, sort of move on the continuum and this mutual intelligibility among varieties that, from my own experience, it seems that younger speakers they don't possess that in the same capacity as their parents or their grandparents did. So possibly we might even be seeing more of a split from these land, between these varieties than maybe historically existed when they were still being passed on intergenerationally. Yeah, I guess I am of the baby in the bathwater school, uh, sort of in the opposite direction, though, in the sense that anything we can do to save any kind of French is better than not saving any at all. I, I, I am presently working on a project uh, – uh, that involves transcribing and, and publishing both a French version and an English version of the tales of uh, Mario Marcotte, who was a French speaker who published some, uh, who published these stories. He was kind of a, he was a storyteller, but his stories, he was a, a, a monologuist, I guess is what you'd call him, stand-up comic or whatever. Uh, but his, 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 um, his stories were put on vinyl records and were in jukeboxes all over the country, especially during the 60s. Uh, but it's amazing to me that I still, even today, will hear elderly people use expressions from some of his things. And, th- and they didn't learn those expressions at home. They came, those were Marion's, that he's the one that sort of made them famous. It's kind of like, it's kind of like in English, if, you know, when you say, um, you know, where's the beef? Uh, it's it's part of a, kids kids who have never seen that commercial will st- can still say where's the beef. But but that but that mean, but that means something to you. Okay okay. Right right. It goes it goes beyond. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to say there is um, we always lose, and then of course we always gain because there there are new words that come in. Well in our in the well in the state of language loss with French maybe that's not so true, but. Um, the, the French that my mother, who's 89 years old, speaks is not the French that her mother spoke. Okay. The, and certainly the French that I speak because I, I learned my French in school and then went back to learn the, the local French, uh, is, is not the same either. Um, but the, um, the wealth, you know, every minute of every day we lose words. Uh, I, I guess going back, oh, I, I remember now what I wanted to say, talking about losing words, um, that Mario Marcotte, there, there are a couple of expressions in Mario Marcotte's um, monologues that I have been detective working for months, months now, trying to find out what they mean and what they are. Now, there are six or seven of them that after trial and error and talking to any number of people, we were able to discern the words. 
Um, but there are two right now. We are getting ready to go to publication, and there are two that I have left. I've 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 invented a spelling for them. One is Godchal, God or Godchal. The other one is Presil, and and it come and and it, and it it's in the context of Tonal, some guys that are just kind of troublemakers, and. I've I've just run out of luck. I went to see Floyd Swallow, who of course was the one who who put these records out, and Floyd knew um, knew Mr. Marcotte personally. He understood the context, but he could not tell me what those words were. Um, he he understood more or less what they meant, but we like, it's hard to know whether it's from context or just you know whatever. I've ta- I've spoken to people from Avoyles Parish; those words are lost. What I'm hoping is that when the book comes out with a CD, there may be somebody left on this earth, on this side of the dirt, who who might be able to say, "Hey, y'all missed this. You know, this is this is what this is." And and I regularly get mail and email from people who say, "It's guess what's not in the dictionary." You know, people love to just show, you know, point out your failings. And I am more than delighted because I keep a running list of these words. You know, uh, it's the it's the only we, we've got to do the best we can. And um, I think, you know, it, it's kind of it's like fighting dying. We're all going to die someday, but we just are all doing the best we can. And that's what we've got to do with the language, too. Yeah. OK, um, now really quick. P for Pui. Uh-huh. Now, it's not that you can't pronounce Pui because you still use Pui for a well. Right, but it's it's a different word. It's a different word. Mm-hmm. So in, in in continental French, same pronunciation, two different words, P and Pui. No, but it's kind of like Plu. Plu is the same thing. Well, that's you've, the other one I had on my list. Yes. <laughs> plu and Pui. And, and once again, you've got, you've got people who can't, you know, they don't have that Pui. They don't have that support of the written word to even to even let them know that those are the same words. Why would they think those are the same words? Because they're used right. in different ways. You right. know, it's like, uh, you know, they, well, I can't think of a good example, but you know, it happens all the time that we, that you have R-E-A-D, read, R-E-A-D, read, or record and record. And I mean, confusion when you have, when you have to go between the written right. and the oral. So the, to, to, the extent that we don't have uh, the written system institutionalized in in our language use, um, it has. I guess the point of it is that that doesn't mean that rules could not surge or, 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 or come out of our structure just because we didn't have written language. It's it's a it's false to assume that that because we don't have writing, we don't have grammar. We absolutely have grammar. Um. This one, one, this is not really a huge difference. I just love this. This two kekshos, two kekshos. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why. I just I love that word, two kekshos. Um, well, you see, and we it's not just two kekshos. It's it's a structure that's uh, it's actually pretty because you can say two keken also, everybody, two kekshos, two keken. To me, that actually is more is more logical than tout le monde. It's like every which way. <laughs> yeah, I like every which way. Yeah. That's a, that's one that I hadn't. Uh, yeah, but that's right. No, 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 but you say two part two. Two part two. That's right. Two part two. Yeah. Um, let's see. 
I want to, I'm leaving the big ones till I'm going to fly through some of the yeah. small ones. Well, I'll give you an example too, though. When you're thinking about, um, there are also some structures that um, would be considered variable in standard French uh, that become, um, what's the term? Lexicalized in, uh, well, very simply, please. Um, whether you're tutoying somebody or vouvoying somebody in Louisiana, it's, it's still s'il vous plaît. You don't, s'il te plaît doesn't work because s'il vous plaît, then it has been, is, is, is perceived not as, it's perceived as a word. It's not, it's like, you know, it's for, I'll give you the example. When you have a rendezvous, you don't say, I have a, a rond moi. <laughs> you have a wrong, it's a, it's, it's lexicalized. It's mm-hmm. frozen into one form. Right. And so that's what's happened with s'il vous plaît. It's what, it's what happened for a lot of people too with, um, like, uh, well, with, well, let's say with, um, he said to himself, he said to himself, uh, like I would say, uh, a, j'ai dit honte moi-même. Hmm. I said to myself, but you would also say, il a dit honte moi-même. So a lot of people say honte moi-même to mean, to himself, to herself, to myself, you know. Now, not everybody uses that, but it's mm-hmm. it's a structure that that again becomes frozen, even though normally it would be subject to rules of right. person and and right. you know plural and singular and that sort of thing. I like that one. Yeah, because when you said them, my first thought was isedi, but I yeah. like that one. Better. Yeah. Well, and isad isedi it, it it is said, but but you will hear people say on on you know. Nice. Yeah. This one blew my mind. Now remember, French, Portuguese, Spanish, Italian, they're all basically derived from from, from Latin, different shape, form, or fashion. Mm-hmm. Did I read this correctly? E-S-T-E for ce? Ste? Ste. Ste? Uh, because yeah. if so, that's mind-boggling because that has to be, that's more than centuries old if that's true. Because this is the same word in, in, in Spanish, the same word, well, same form in Spanish. Yeah. Portuguese, I don't know about Italian, but I know Spanish and Portuguese. It's yeah. the same word, and so to see it pop up in French, I'm like, oh my goodness! Ste, yeah, ste, ste femme, ste bug, yeah. yeah. Um, are you right for who for where? Now that there's a, a story, um, again too about how you know I, I started having to, um to become a, a grammarian of Louisiana French out of absolute need. I, I got my first teaching job was at Como High School, and I walked in and Mr. Landry said, oh, you're from Ville Platte? You can teach Cajun French. <laughs> and so so I said, well, yeah, sure I can, you know, but uh, I, there, were, there, were, there were no books, there were no textbooks, there were no manuals. So I had to come up with ways to describe the language so that the students could study it and learn it. Mm-hmm. And one of the first issues that came up with that was that whole idea of what do you make of that AU? And at first my my perception of it was, well, there's a con. So maybe it's just that we add a in front of in front of our uh, interrogatives. But then is that a an and a or is it an a just a sound a? And, um, and of course, and it's not always used it, when it's, when it's a, uh, let's say con used as a relative, uh, a relative form, it, it doesn't happen anymore. So I, I, I can, if I go back, in fact, I just, I, I've been retired 
six years now, and I've been trying to get rid of my stuff. And I found my first binder of materials that I created for that kinder that kindergarten. That I call it my kindergarten. That high school class by, mm-hmm. back in 1984. And I see that there I had put ET ET right on a lot of the things. And then I gradually shift and I put A. Well, then here, many many years later, we come to the dictionary and we are trying to decide how we're going to write AU. And of course, also you have that glide there, right? So that, so people, because originally I had put A, then E with an accent grave, and then hyphen U. And I, and my, and my thought was, I, I know that when you put those two vowels together, there's a glide that sort of naturally slips in there, right? AU becomes AU, uh, right? But, um, the more we got to talking about this thing, um, that we had to also face the fact that not everybody says AU. Some people say IU. So um, how are we going to represent that, right? So um, Richard Gidry is the one who said, well, look, why don't don't we go with the AY? Because AY in French can represent, you know, like crayon, but it can also represent the AS, like mayonnaise, right? Mm -hmm. So So it could go either way. Um, uh, and like tomato and tomato, right? And um, and it seemed like such a genius solution to that problem. It was at least with AU we were able to we were able to come to a, a pretty quick consensus. Um, but it, I mean, it it just involves a lot of people thinking about a lot of things, right? You know, a no. lot of aspects of the language. I don't know. This is one of those that I've beat my head against the wall. Would I hear somebody in France say quasi? And I don't think so. I could be wrong. Maybe my listeners will write me and say, no, Jared, we say it all the time. I don't, I don't remember hearing no, quasi. Not really. No, I hear things like, qu'est-ce que c'est? Or if you want to be a little less, you know, c'est quoi ça? You know? Right. No, yeah, or, no, you know, quasi is, 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 is an emphatic, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, would, it would not appear quoi at the beginning of a, yeah. Yeah, because I... You wouldn't start a sentence with quoi in, no. in continental French. It would be like I starting. Like that one, yeah. It's been too long for me. Cause yeah. To me, I, to me, I hear that and I think, yeah, that's right. That makes sense that's to you. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. It's been too long for me since I did anything with continental French. Yeah, you're definitely a, uh, you're definitely through the back door <laughs> now, Nathan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we have to keep you. Isit. Uh, right? Yes. I love that one. For Isit. Mm-hmm. Just. That's just the point. You see, right? Well, and and you know the thing is too, it's a stylistic thing. I I was I was just going over Mario Marcotte's stuff uh, last night. I was list I was listening again one more time to these recordings to make sure I had you know to try to get as close to as accurate transcription as possible. And Marcotte uses both. And I mean, there's a master's thesis there somewhere. If somebody wants to play with, well, when do they use? When does an individual speaker? Who uses both? Does he have certain conditions in which EC works and in which ECIT? Like the is, TPT in different co- different contexts in the sentence, right. different positions. Right, right. Uh, yeah, with PT, mm-hmm. with T, T and PT. Um, and you can you can make a rule. You you will yeah. hear people say PT, but you will never you will hear the P in the P in PT in front of a noun, but you will never hear T. So you would almost have in to take... In back of a noun. Right. Right. Il est right. So wait, wait, exactly. Right. You but can hear un petit garçon, would, un petit, un petit garçon, but you would never hear right exactly. Il est You know what? I'm a French professor. So mm. I have students. 
And I might assign that to them one day. There you go. I'd say, take this guy's work, find out every time he says EC, every time he says EC, and let's see if we can find the difference. Okay. So let's do it. All right. Okay. No, cool. I think it, it should be out by Christmas. So <laughs> okay. keep it. Wonderful. I've got, I've got some, I call them mes immersionistes. So I've got some, uh, some immersion are... students out of Lake Charles. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I could. There you go. Um, autre, nous autres, vous autres. I'm not exactly sure how this works, but I know that there's a, a form. Does autre pluralize the pronouns? Yeah. Yeah. Typically it does. Like, so you have vous autres, nous autres, um, eux autres. Now, Zot, of course, uh, exists along with the variant, which is us and, and, or us. I'm, I'm, I get confused sometimes because I'm not as familiar with um, Terrebonne and Lafourche Parish, but they use us a lot more than they use Zot. Now, the other thing that happens with Vuzot is that it just becomes Vot. And in fact, Marcotte, when he, pronoun- when he says, when he's talking fast, Vuzot becomes Vot. Yeah. Can that distinguish between the plural and the formal vu? Or the formal vu is not really no, a big v- thing down here. Vuzot is plural. It's always it's plural. It's always plural. Always plural. Vu is, vu is a form of respect. You typically... The, the, okay, so it is the, 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 the yeah. formal and, the, and the, the plural and the formal. Yeah, then you've got vu is typically singular. I, I, I can't say absolutely. I, right now, I cannot recall... Any specific instances of vu used in the plural, but you do have, but you do, of course, have plural like um, you know, écoutez when they're talking to a group. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, écoutez vous autres, écoutez. But uh, but for example, you would use vu in speaking to an elderly person, and in fact, Marcotte, um, uh, there's a there is a, a a story called the Padgo. And the, the man who's the sort of the big time shooter, he's there and he sees, uh, he sees his cousin, but she's an older cousin. She has, she has daughters his age and he sees her and he says, bonjour cousine. So he calls her cousine. There's a certain amount of familiar, familiarity, but then he says, uh, vous a something, something. He's, you know, he, he calls her vous. He, he uses that form of respect with her. Now, what's interesting about vu is that typically the conjugation with vu is the same as the third person singular. So it's vu a you have. So do you, um, in Creole, there's the alighted form zot, which is ambiguous. Right. It can be nuzot, it can be uzot. Um, zot is, is like an alternative for. Mm-hmm. In Louisiana Creole is yay for the third person plural. Right. Um, does that kind of are there those kinds of ambiguities in Louisiana French as well? Because frankly, I'm less familiar with. Oh well, you've got what well, you what you do have is, for example, il the plural the plural il that we don't use l. Il is for men and women, male and female. I've actually noticed that. Yeah. There, there, well, and I I also know that uh, for just, just to add to the complexity of Louisiana French. Having done some work on Grand Isle, they actually have the form is. So it's oh, closer wow. to ils or els, which obviously have lost their s's. They use it as a, as a subject? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, as opposed to as a, an object of a preposition or any correct. kind of... Correct. Uh, yeah, so, so is, 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 parle, is parle français. The other thing they do, of course, is they use a uvular r, which is atypical for Louisiana. Right. I've heard, I have heard that. Yeah. And that's really cool. Really quick for our listeners, you're talking about the Louisiana French more uses the trilled R or the flapped R, which is the the one made with the, with the tongue. 
Yeah, so is as a sort of a variant of us. Why don't you shut that? Yeah, of us. Is. Dang. High front vowel. So it's not because I've also heard. I've also heard e being the. It can be ambiguous to whether it's third person singular or third person plural. Right. Um. But they have the s in there, and it's the same. It's the same vowel. So it's not us. It's is. Um. Which I haven't seen attested anywhere else. Wow. No, I'm not familiar with that. Of course, I mean, Grand Isle historically, you know, um, was very isolated and was part of, um, is, I think it's still part of Jefferson Parish. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and But part of that was because, the, I mean, Jeff, uh, Grand Isle was a was the sort of the place to go to the spa. You know, it was, it was the beach. It was the place to go to relax. And people would take the ferry. They would take a boat to Grand Isle. And that was – so Grand Isle's connection now to, um, to the rest of La Fourche is kind of a um, – Since the 30s, since the 20s or 30s since they built the bridge. Right. It's a very so like, recent um, phenomenon. Uh, Mike Picconi, he hypothesizes that the French of Grand Isle is probably the closest living thing that we have to – whatever vernacular French was in New Orleans, because you had a lot of the um, resort-going population from New Orleans. Some of them end up moving to Grand Isle, so might have influenced why you end up with this more continental pronunciation of the R, why you might have, you have a little bit less après there. People know en train de, a couple of them do. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. I'm currently trying to write a grant to describe to write a little sketch grammar of grand isle french just because of these sort of anomalies that that really set it aside mm-hmm. as uh, a distinctive variety among the sort of myriad varieties that you have in louisiana french i hope that happens quickly because again that's that's a population that's disappearing got, i've got i've already got some of the interviews so that's oh, good right. but i'd love to i'd love to add to that so right. well when you get ready man i'm with you I'm, I'll, right. I'll, i mean seriously that would be awesome yeah. i would love that okay really quick um, no L on the end of il. E? E. Uh-huh. E? Just E. Yeah. Just E. E. Well, I mean, I think Nathan just well, pointed out okay, that, yeah, that, there you that go. E. But, uh, that's why, the, that's why I brought this one up way. at this moment. E. Uh, yeah. Well, of course, the, the, there's no, but to mark the plural, you will have, you know, in front of a, a vowel, you know, ison. Right. Uh, right. But I, uh, I va, mais il est. And the same thing with, with the feminine. Of course, you have ava. But See, that was new to me when, when yeah. Dr. Osley mentioned that one. I didn't know that. Yeah. And to make things even more complicated, uh, if you get out to uh, points in St. Landry Parish uh, around Lyonville, uh, uh, La Paconnière, uh, Arnaudville, they don't – and this kind of shocked me. One of the first times I ever did an interview there where she, I kept misunderstanding what she was saying. She said, Eva. And I think – and go, Eva. Uh, no, Eva. That's Eva. E-L-A. So the, the the subject pronoun is L, but it's very it's very regularized, just the way il is and the way al is. That in front, it's the, that L is not pronounced in front of a, a consonant. It it's only pronounced in front of a vowel. There's a liaison. So it's being treated the exact same way. Sure. As, yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Um, quitte instead of partir. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, uh-huh. I, I or quitte, that or, or quitte. Well, quitte instead of partir is not so unusual. It's quitte instead of laisser. Like, for example, je vais quitte, um, uh, quitte-moi de dire. Let me tell you. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> quitte-moi de dire. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Qui est-ce qui fait les bons tons? Now that I don't know if I've ever heard, but but that's I. But how, I that's, how, that's how Clifton Chenier sings it. Ah. Uh, earliest recordings. Ah. Uh, later, it's Leslie Le Bon Ton. Oh, uh, interesting. Interesting. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, here are the two big ones that I wanted to ask you about. The present progressive with Apere. Right. Now, I had a conversation with Tom Klingler about this, mm-hmm. who said that this is actually attested centuries ago in Poitou. I, I would go even further than that. It was I, I, I heard it um, about 16 years ago in Poitou. Still? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm peaked. My interest is peaked here. Yeah. That's, that's amazing to me. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty rare, but I, I spoke to somebody about it, and they were, of course, you know, yeah, that was just, you know. Well, for our audience, this is, typically as French teachers, we tell our students, you don't have a present progressive in French. So, je parle means I speak. This is, you know, the talk. I speak, I do speak, I am speaking. If you have to say that you're doing right now, you use entendant de. But, Louisiana French has the ability to use the word après, which normally means after. It's not just après, but it's être après. Okay. Être après. So, je suis après faire ça. Je I am après faire about, Well, I am après Doing that means yeah. I am doing that. I am in the process See, of it. Right. Before I understood this, because I was hearing it, I didn't understand it. I thought it was, I'm about to do it. Like, I'm after doing it. I'm mm-hmm. running after doing it. Mm-hmm. Until, I think it was Erlene that told me, no, Jared, that means you're already doing it at this moment. Right. And that, and and then I started hearing it in the songs. Well, you know how to say, I'm about to do it? Je suis en train de. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're just starting it. You're just about ready to do it. You're je suis en train de. I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, because you already have the progressive with well, the après. And I, and I would, I think what's kind of noticeable about, if you, if you look at the frequency of structures, I think there are a lot of structures um, in Louisiana French that are based upon these, what do they call them? Nathan, you, I, I need my linguist here. Uh, semi-auxiliary, auxiliaries? Stru- well, Structures that are based, in other words, like être après en être en train de, or like aller, the future with aller. All of those structures uh, that analytical, analytical structures but... that that, re- that rely on an infinitive. So, in other words, I mean, the nice thing about shows is once you know how to conjugate the verb être in those things, then you can just you just use any old. Um, infinitive that you don't have to conjugate worry about how it conjugates mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. going to always be in the infinitive form and there is a preponderance of those types of like uh for example j'ai pour uh when you are obliged to do something j'ai pour j'ai pour aider ma mère à à um à ramasser linge cet après-midi ou j'ai pour you know or uh, i'm trying to think of a few others um but there there's there are probably about 10 or 11 of them that are really very preponderant in Louisiana French. And the, I mean, the nice thing about them is that they, they sort of, um, they telescope what you actually need to know in terms of conjugations. I'll give you another example of how that happens is um, the, there's a frequent usage of, um, of the conditional perfect as opposed to the conditional. Like, um, like, I would have instead of I would. Well, let's say I told him I uh, je, in in standard French, je lui ai dit que uh, je je lui ai dit que je danserai avec lui. 
I told him that I would dance with him at the next dance. Okay. But, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. But in Cajun French, j'ai dit que j'aurais dansé avec lui. So we would use the conditional perfect there. But what the conditional perfect, again, allows you to do is the only conditional that you need. And I'm not, you know, obviously it's not a strategy that one person came up with. But what you realize is once you've got the conditional of that auxiliary verb, then you can use any other other, uh, infinitive that you know. And, and you don't have to worry about, well, how do you conjugate it? And this can, I mean, there are odd things that have, I remember asking my mother, it, it brings us back to this notion of all these irregular verbs. That's cool. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Irregular verbs, like the verb, like mentir. I mean, a God dog. I mean, how many years have I been, and I still have to look it up, you know, right? Um, <laughs> conjugation of mentir. Well, I asked my mother one day, I said, mom, how do you say, um, you lie in French? And she looked at me. She said, ta menti. I said, well, yeah, okay, that's how you said you lied. But how do you say you lie? And she, I said, you know, like in the present, like you are, well, she said, te apre mentir. <laughs> and so I said, well, no, like, but like you lie. And then she finally said, menteur. She, she, <laughs> she didn't have it. She, she did not have it in her. I mean, it, it wasn't even, and, and look, my mother's an educated person. It's not like she doesn't understand what parts of grammar are, mm-hmm. but it, it just, and when you think about it, I mean, you lie is almost an idiomatic expression because typically what we don't, we don't really accuse people of lying. We accuse them of having lied. Like you just lied when you said that, right? right? right so right. it just didn't, you know, if, and, and if they, and if that's true, if they do lie habitually, well, monteur or monteuse for Works. functions just mm-hmm. well. So when you've got this damn irregular verb, right? Mentir that, that just doesn't quite, you know, tumult. Somehow she, it's weird, isn't it? That, that, that they just sort of, well, they packed that one away and we just won't use that anymore. Now, that's of course, that's an example of only one person and I, I, we would, somebody would have to, there's another, there's another master's program. Somebody could, um, <laughs> could take some irregular verbs and, and play with those, you know. I'm going to have happens. a list because one of these days <laughs> I'm going to get my master's back uh, at, at, at McNeese. <clears throat> In closing, remember to check out the show notes at weeklylinguist.com. There you will find further information about this episode. Like more information about the guest, a selected bibliography, and any links mentioned in this episode. As the saying goes, if you enjoyed the podcast, tell a friend. If you didn't, tell us. You can tell a friend by rating us five stars on iTunes and by writing a glowing endorsement in the reviews. Don't forget to subscribe when you're done and follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Weekly Linguist. For any feedback, positive or critical, (laughs) write to us at podcast at weeklylinguist.com. Tell us what you think, what we can do better, or even suggest a a topic for an upcoming episode.